Hi everyone, welcome to the B Plus Plus podcast, a podcast where we speak with technology leaders, people who are pushing the boundaries, people who are setting new rules for the industry as a whole. Uh, and of course, I'm very happy to have with us a very special guest today, Steve Demamiel, who's the director of Hostopia and the author of The Mongrel Method: Sales and Marketing for the New Breed of Buyer. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Very happy to have you. Fabulous to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so it's a very interesting journey. I believe Hostopia is one of the leading hosting providers in uh, Australia, and so the journey from being, you know, uh, the director of a hosting company to, for you being uh, to you being a coach to then writing a book about uh, sales. How did this uh, come about? What inspired you along the journey? Yeah. Yeah. Well, fundamentally, it's all about helping small and medium business owners succeed and the tools that enable have enabled that along the way. Mm-hmm. And so four years ago, Hostopia in Australia was only six people and it's now 96. And wow. some of that's been done through acquisitions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that's been interesting in itself, bringing together different sales and marketing teams and joining those, those cultures together. And that's been a really important part of the success. But fundamentally, along that journey, it's been about working with um, our customer base, which is predominantly, as I said, small, medium businesses, and helping them to build those businesses. And as and the digital space, that digital transformation that a lot of them have uh, been on over, with us over the last few years has been about helping them reach their their own customers and develop solutions for those customers and really getting clear about the particular problem they solve. So that's what's really, um, I guess, I found very rewarding and the part of the journey that I've really enjoyed is watching some of our smaller customers become bigger customers and and really grow and develop great profitable businesses that have employed people and contributed to their own community um, and their families. So that's really rewarding. And a lot of our work has been helping them um, you know, tell that story, communicate um, exactly what they're doing for their customers. And that's what's really led me into the book was as I was helping our own customers and working with our own sales and marketing teams, I'd tell a few stories about when I was a, a uni student working at vineyards around Western Australia and some of those analogies that I developed around um, you know, how people would interact with my dog, Sam, Samuel DeMamuel, um, they would they would stick some of those ideas and I'd often later have people repeat back to me some of those stories that I told or some of those sales analogies that I used around the dog and I realised that, you know, they were sticking. Um, there's nothing worse than, you know, going through sales and marketing training and, you know, getting it drummed into you on day one and forgetting it on day seven. So the stories that I told around the dog and those analogies that I used, um, people recalled and they were able to implement and so when I was about a dozen or so stories along, um, it became the book, The Mongrel Method. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, go on. And I was going to say, so I often get asked about the title, The Mongrel mm-hmm. Method. 
And so that's a really a bit of a play on this idea that sales and marketing need to be working together. So, and, you know, if you know what a mongrel dog is, it's a, a mix of breeds. So we're really talking about the mix of sales and marketing, um, hence the name, the mongrel method. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you uh told me about it i was going to ask you that in any case so, yeah i mean uh, i'm super excited about this podcast for two reasons i was just mentioning to you earlier i love dogs i mean i think that's the only thing in the world that makes me weak as a person you know mm-hmm. looking at a dog so so that's one and the second thing you know uh, we interact with a lot of uh, technology uh, ceos founders you know sme owners and i've been very passionate about the whole concept of what problem are we solving right so yeah. when we speak with a lot of startup founders as well you know i always try to ask them what problem are you solving and my response to you know when they tell me what problem they are solving in a lot of cases is that you are definitely solving a problem but it's not a big enough problem or it's not high enough on the list of problems so the other reason i mentioned i was very excited about today's podcast is the fact that you know there's no business without sales there is no business especially for you know smaller businesses or startups you know the fact that they don't have the luxury of talking about you know organizational culture they don't have the luxury of talking about you know sort of non linear methods of running businesses or whatever else it's very existential it's a very uh, you know it's 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 in a lot of cases very urgent right and especially in the middle of a pandemic where so many businesses are struggling i think there's no you know better thing to talk about than the sales so uh you know so i want to understand a bit more about uh you know inspirationals from samuel <laughs> so in the sense that like you know i understand that you mentioned it's a, it's a combination of marketing and sales you know i've been saying it for years that now sales is more like marketing and marketing is all like sales right so in the sense that there's hardly a difference right we talk a yeah. lot about inbound marketing we talk about you know outbound doesn't work especially you know in a lot of cases so maybe if you could share let's say a couple of uh, you know the commandments uh, you know from the book in terms of what do you think really works i mean what's the first thing that you would like to tell a lot of startup founders or small business owners in terms of what's the biggest takeaway uh, from the book uh, in terms of you know what they can implement right away yeah well your earlier point about the problem being big enough i think that's really where a lot of people trip over um they have a solution and their prospect acknowledges that that is a problem but it's not big enough to make a dramatic change here now today and there's five other things that um sit in front of that particular problem that need to be resolved before they get to your um you know the solution that you're offering the problem you're trying to solve and so you know that's the real test of a good sales person can they actually work out very quickly what opportunities um do they kill after they walk away from and um you know i've got a chapter in in the book called working like a dog and a lot of people a lot of sales people think that you know that if they just work harder they'll get mm. better results but in fact yeah. it's not about working harder it's about working smarter and working out which problems um or sorry which opportunities you should work, walk away from mm. and unless the client unless the prospect can articulate 
what it means for their business if they solve this problem. Um, and it needs to be their future uh, vision of the future, not one that you're pushing at them. Um, mm-hmm. That's really important. So it's got to come from the customer. You can't push the customer along a sales process. You can only show them a path and lead them forward. Um, and they've got to go on that journey themselves. So if you feel like you're, you're pushing this prospect along, it's mm-hmm. time to walk away. I've also got another chapter in the book, um, you know, which I call you know, Stop Playing Fetch. And a lot of salespeople talk to a prospect and the prospect's semi-interested and they say, well, look, um, give me a proposal. And so the salesperson runs off and madly writes a proposal and brings it back. And the prospect looks at it and says, oh, look, we've had a conversation internally. Um, we want you to change a few things. We're going to tackle this problem differently. Why don't you go away and fix, um, make those changes and come back? And it's a bit like a game of fetch. So the salesperson is like this over-enthusiastic dog playing fetch, brings the ball to the prospect, and the prospect, instead of saying, look, we're not going to do this, we're not going to do it anytime soon, just go away, they play this game of fetch and they take the proposal and throw it away and the, the salesperson, like an over-enthusiastic puppy, chases after it and retrieves it and brings it back. And this game can go on and on until the, you know, often the salesperson, sales manager says, you know, this is a complete waste of time, this is not going anywhere, um, forget about it. Um, so salespeople need to watch out if they're getting caught up in this game of fetch where, in fact, the prospect is not saying, um, we're not doing it, we're not buying from it from you anytime soon, but, in fact, they're politely getting the salesperson to go away by engaging in this game of fetch. And that might mean updates to a proposal. It might be questions about how could um, the problem could be solved, and that translates often into free consulting services. Mm-hmm. So if it feels like you're um, running after something for the prospect and bringing it back and dropping it at their feet and then being sent off again to do some more work and you, the salesperson, is doing all the work, you're caught up in this loop of, of playing fetch with the prospect and it's time to politely walk away from those opportunities. Wow. I just uh, at least remember 100 incidents of me playing fetch over the last yeah, few yeah, years. We've all done it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We all and, do it. You know, we all uh, hope. We all hang on to hope. We we do. And, you know, it's difficult to sort of, uh, you know, walk away. And especially, you know, uh, if the client is somebody that you really want to work with or, you know, hmm. and yeah. So, so how do you prevent this? I mean, in the sense that how do we sort of prevent uh, ourselves from playing fetch? I mean, when do you know this is not a qualified prospect or a lead? And when do we say, okay, we are not doing this anymore? Yeah. So there's two things I look for. Um, an investment of time or resources. So the client, the prospect needs to invest in this opportunity. And if they're not investing time and they're not investing resources, they're not playing. They're not looking to solve this problem. So when I talk about resources, so they might um, spend money on doing the things that have to happen beforehand. So if you're rolling out some software, 
um, that might mean you need to upgrade, upgrade some equipment. You might need to buy some servers and they might be on a six-week lead time. So has that investment been made? Right. So I always go looking for the prerequisites that have to happen before your sale happens. So is the customer doing those things? So if a business case has to be written, um, some business analysis need to be done, has it been resourced with people to put that documentation together? So they're the sort of things you really need to be looking for to see if this deal is is going, going to advance. So time and resources, they're the two tests. And if neither of those are happening, I will often confront the prospect and just say, look, um, these things have to happen beforehand. I'm not seeing them done. It would appear that we're not going to meet this deadline that you and I spoke about or this timeline you and I spoke about. Mm-hmm. Um Maybe I should come back um, and talk about this um, you know, down the track when you've done those things. Or the business case needs to be written. And I'd say to the prospect, look, you're clearly not resourcing the business case. The, the capital expenditure is not going to happen with that, that business case. Maybe we should meet again when you've actually resourced them. So that's just this polite. So there's lots of ways of framing that, but... You're essentially right. politely offering to leave. You bring it to a head. You put it on the table and say, look, this this doesn't feel like a deal that's going to advance because you haven't invested in it yourself. So there's no point in me continuing my own investment. It's time for me to move on to the next opportunity. So sure. that's the process that I go through. Is there time and, time and resources allocated? If not... It's, it's time to politely go away and move on to the next opportunity. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I must say I learned it the hard way as well, you know, a few years back. I'm still learning, obviously. <laughs> you know, some of the things that you're sharing, I'm thinking, how can we implement this tomorrow or today? And But I remember I was speaking with, you know, a, a sort of fellow uh, co-founder and I was speaking with them about, you know, in our business, obviously, we work across markets, across industries, you know, in a single day, sometimes we get so many emails for people asking for proposals. And, you know, and, and, and you know, there was a time where you, we had a dedicated team of people who are just writing proposals, business analysts who are trying to figure this out. And I remember there came a time and we said, you know, unless the time invests, uh, unless the client invests their time with us, I mean, we don't even know whether they are for real, whether they even want to do it. Are they just collecting proposals? And so, yeah, so that's something that, you know, we've uh, tried to implement. Uh, and yeah, at least I think we are a lot more focused and I, I, I'm sure thousands of people out there can sort of immediately relate to playing fetch and we've yeah. all been doing it for so many years. Uh, which brings me to the next question about, uh, you know, you mentioned, you know, marketing and sales conversions, right? So yeah. do you see that it happens differently for, let's say, B2B businesses versus say B2C businesses? Or do you think, you know, similar sort of models are being adopted for both industries? Because, I mean, both have their own set of challenges, right? For instance, in B2C businesses, you know, we always wonder, you know, the consumer has so many choices these days, you know, if let's say you're rolling out a new product, you know, the consumer is spoiled for choices, then most of your time goes into marketing and getting people 
uh, to sort of start sampling your product and, you know, just uh, the cost of acquisition can be very high as well. And whereas in, in B2B businesses, it's so uh, complex in terms of, you know, people come to you when they're ready. Yeah, like you mentioned, you can't keep following up with people or whatever, you know, knocking on doors and just, you know, so in the sense, there's, there's an element of that as well. So how, how do you see uh, the convergence, uh, you know, the, the, the mongrel method playing out for B2B businesses versus B2C businesses? You look, I think they're very similar. And what's driven it is the cost of acquisition. Right. The days of having a salesperson um, just chasing somebody who might look like a customer, um, who might want to buy what you're offering, um, that's a very expensive, you know, that's a lottery. Um, yeah. A very expensive way to do it um, with, uh, you know, people doing it so this is where marketing needs to step up and you know i talk about in the book that when b2c or b2b that consumer that customer is 70 percent of the way along that purchasing journey before they engage with the company directly we've all done it we've all bought a new bicycle and we've done a huge amount of research on what sort of bike we want We've spoken to peers. We've been on forums and social media sites where our tribe who likes that sort of bike has been. Um, you were looking, you know, we were talking earlier about buying a dog. Um, you know, you've done all that research, no doubt. You've been through all those sites. Um, you know, looked at different breeds and, you know, the attributes of different breeds. You've done all that work before you've picked up the phone to a breeder. And we all do it. But strangely, when it comes to our own business, sometimes we want to sell differently. Um, we expect our own customers to do things differently to us. You know, if we're looking to implement a piece of software, we're looking to buy a SaaS solution. We're looking at what other companies have done. We're not looking to reinvent the wheel. We know there's lots of white papers out there. We know there's lots of content. We know there's lots of reviews out there on it. And it doesn't matter if you're looking for a review for a, for a piece of software from Gartner or you're looking for a restaurant review on TripAdvisor. You're doing all of that work up front um, and that's the responsibility of marketing. And when they finally along, you know, the customer is pretty much, you know, they're three-quarters away along that buying journey, the role of a salesperson is just to help them complete that journey, deal with the last bits of friction um, and enable that sale um, rather than uh, let the customer stumble their way through that last piece. So, you know, the salesperson's role now is really just to tidy up the loose ends and accelerate that purchasing decision um, and Ultimately, you know, people want to buy from people, um, but they want to be doing that independent third-party research first before they're engaging with okay. a salesperson. And it's marketing's role really to do that. Um, mm -hmm. And the piece that often gets forgotten about in the marketing piece is there's people that don't complete that journey. They pick up the phone early, they're not quite ready, or they discover something that stops them from completing that purchase. Um, mm. it, the problem they're looking to solve might be more expensive than they had anticipated 
something happens, um, it's really then back to marketing to keep them, um, keep nurturing that lead. So it's not this one one way linear process. There are people who are going to drop out at that sales engagement piece, um, you know, stepping along the line. And those, those people need to be handed back to marketing or remain in that marketing funnel. So if they resurface, if they're back in a position to buy, that they're still thinking about your company and they will come back and re-engage with one of the salespeople. So I think, and the third part of all of that piece is down the track upgrades, um, additional um, solutions you might offer. Um, Again, that comes back to marketing as well. So it's this circle rather than this linear process where the customer, the prospect, engages with sales and marketing at different stages of the life cycle. So they're engaging with marketing as they're making decisions around what they want to purchase or if they leave the buying journey or um, it's down 18 months down the track and it's time for upgrades or solving the next problem. Marketing and sales need to be coming in and out of that customer journey. Mm, I understand. That's very fascinating. So, I mean, what I understand quite, you know, that sort of resonates with me a lot from what you just said is the fact that, you know, I think a lot of the companies, the big mistake that they are making is when the customers or prospects are not quite ready, instead of engaging with them on the marketing side of things, they're engaging with them from a sales uh, point of view. And that's not going to work. So, I mean, they're just not ready yet. So like you mentioned, multiple uh, marketing touch points and, you know, this could be that decision making process could be a lot longer. So whichever stage they are in their decision-making process, the marketing needs to continue to provide them with something useful to sort of get them from being half ready to completely ready. And then, like you said, which will break the hearts of many salespeople that they have to tidy up. You know? So in the sense that, you know, but again, I, I, I do a program for some of the universities on sales. And I just always say that, you know, the way marketing has evolved, sales has evolved as well, right? And in the sense that it's not just a question of uh, sales is also marketing, right? So I don't think you're a sales professional unless you are a marketing professional and you're able to sort of marketing market your services or products also. So so just a couple of follow-up questions uh, based on what you said. So first thing, you mentioned that, you know, it's not a linear journey. It's a circular journey of, you know, from a prospect's point of view and the way they are engaging with, uh, you know, the, you know, your company. So how are some of the most effective ways, right, uh, from a marketing, uh, uh, you know, professional's point of view to engage with those uh, prospects at different stages within that journey? So in the sense, uh, I come and I, you know, like we discuss about either getting a dog or let's say getting a software solution or whatever. So I come, I Google search and I found five companies. You also mentioned something about third party websites. So, you know, if you could just sort of highlight three or four sort of uh, interesting avenues uh, along this journey. So that's number one. Uh, the, the second question that I uh, had for you based on what you just said is that you mentioned that we do 70% research even before we, you know, start interacting with a company. 
So is that what you mean when you say, you know, the new breed of buyers? Uh, or if not, then what do you mean by the new breed of buyers? Yeah, so the new breed of buyer is certainly the one who has done that research. You know, if we go back 10 years, and it's now probably, t- yeah, probably 10 years now, where that, you know, the salesperson held the information and if you wanted the information, mm-hmm. you had to go to the salespeople and talk to them about it. Um, and right. yeah, that research was happening face-to-face. That's not the case anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, the research, all the content, um, the discussion around what the problem you're looking to solve is out there on the web. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the flip. The salesperson no longer is the custodian of the information around how your problem is solved. So we need to be really mindful of that. So, yeah, if the salesperson is no longer the only source of information around the problem you're looking to solve, um, that salesperson needs to take on a new role, and that role really is the discovery of of. Um, how this journey can be completed um, or how the problem might be better defined. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of customers come at it with some preconceived ideas around what the perfect solution might look like. So I think the role of the salesperson is still required to help that customer exactly define um, the perfect solution or the best solution. Mm-hmm. So that often gets forgotten. Um, and, you know, a good salesperson will say, look, I've, I've seen this uh, problem tackled this way or I've seen these issues arise. Um, is this relevant to you? At least table to, table those to the prospect. Um, they've got to make that decision themselves. They can't be pushed into it. The salesperson certainly should be leading them in the right direction and sharing a bit of their experience around what might be relevant for them. Right. So, I mean, in a way, it's become a more sort of consultative process, uh, you know, uh, the sales process that is. And obviously, marketing is the one that should be providing with the information in a way. So uh, and then it becomes more of a, you know, a friendly uh, consultant who is sort of helping the the prospect choose between the different options that they have. Right. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, so, and, you know, I think that consulting piece, you've hit it exactly on the head. You know, the funny thing is in my sales career, I learned more about selling from project managers than other salespeople. And the reason for that is project managers drill down. They ask those questions that talk to time, cost, quality that a lot of salespeople will often brush over. The project manager or business analyst is mindful that if the customer is asking for something, it's mm. going to have some sort of impact on mm. time, cost, quality. Mm. And salespeople really need to be able to drill down and have those conversations with the prospect and say, look, you want it done by this date, but if you want those changes, it's going to have an impact. Yeah. Um, you need to compromise somewhere or you need to be mindful of that impact. Um, so I think, you know, the salesperson's role is really now very much that of the consultant and almost as the project manager um, taking that prospect um, through that final process 
so the expectations are met. I mean, yeah, and especially in our industry, I mean, we see, you know, we've not had a salesperson for three years, actually, because I think, you know, we've realized that, you know, we have other people to do the tidying up in a way. So, and a lot of them are uh, people who are actually working on projects. So, like you said, you know, whether it's project managers or people who are, you know, what we call IT consultants in the sense that who understand, who do the architecture for those solutions. Because, in fact, I remember many years back, uh, I had learned uh, something very interesting from one of my sort of more technical colleagues as well. And and he said that when you are speaking with the customer, uh, you are telling them what they should do. You're not asking enough questions. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I thought that was, uh, you know, it was a good moment of self-discovery for me as well. And I did question the way I had been selling for, for, for years. And I think that did uh, uh, make a huge difference in terms of, you know, how we sold as a company as well. So, so yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's phenomenal how, you know, the roles are not as traditional as they used to be. And there are, you know, very sort of thin lines between who's going to play which role. So, you know, the business analysts or the IT consultants or the project managers are more, uh, you know, more and more playing the sales role. Whereas, you know, marketing is basically where, uh, you know, most of the action is happening in terms of uh, customer acquisition in a way. So which brings me to uh, what we were discussing earlier in the sense that for a customer's uh, journey uh, in terms of before that 70% information is available or they are prepared 70% in terms of making that decision and going ahead with that sale. What are some of the things, what are some of the highlights that you feel as a marketer, you know, for all the listeners who are marketing professionals and especially digital marketing professionals or business owners who want to sort of get that mix right? What are some of the sort of key highlights or see some most effective uh, ways that you see that a marketing professionals should engage uh, with these prospects along their decision-making journey? Yeah, so I would focus on customer intent, what they're doing and the action they're taking. Mm-hmm. Um, I see in some marketing departments an over-reliance on personas and demographics and psychographics mm-hmm. And I think that's very much an old school approach when you didn't have the insights that you now get from, you know, your marketing tools, Google Analytics, those sort of things. Mm. You went back and you you used your own biases um, and you built profiles on Mm. what the customer looked like. Mm. So we've all had built these personas of what the ideal customer looks like or what our typical customer looks like. Mm. Um, We really ought to forget about those and look at the actions that the customer or the prospect is taking and really focus on action and intent and how the prospect might show intent. What are they reading? What are they looking for? What questions might they be asking on the chat? have they taken those um, prerequisite steps that we touched on earlier? So those signals of intent are more important than personas. Mm. And, you know, there's lots of examples where, you know, we look somebody up and down, um, you know, you might be selling Ferraris in Singapore um, and you've got this idea of what that customer looks like, um, you know, 
how they dress, what career they might have. But you might occasionally have that one person walk in who's a crazy car nut, who's just had a windfall. Um, and you would, and if you're dealing with these personas, personas and your own biases, you're going to lose that customer. Mm. Uh, so forget about what they look like or how you expect them to behave. Look at what they're doing and those signals of intent from a marketing perspective and what content they're engaged with. Are they downloading white papers? Are they spending time, uh, you know, going through the content that you're putting out there? Mm-hmm. They're much stronger signals of a someone taking a buying journey than any profiling you might be able to do online. Right. Um, I mean, that's really fascinating because, uh, again, from personal experience, uh, we almost wrote off, uh, you know, a prospect last year because, uh, you know, they didn't fit our profile as a company. And we said, ah, yeah, we, we are not going to be working with them. They're not ready. They're not like whatever, you know, say revenue about this much, number of people this much. And actually, it was a very exciting startup, and uh, and they ended up being one of our largest customers last year. So, so yeah, yeah, exactly. So I I know, and I can relate to what you just said. So in terms of you know, yeah, like you said, the whole idea, and I think we have to learn and unlearn a lot of the things that we have learned, mm-hmm. right? Over the years, this whole idea of. Uh, marketing means demographics, like you mentioned, and you know, like so. The our uh, target customer is the CEO of a company or CMO of a company, and a company with like hundred million or two billion in revenue or something. There comes a startup founder who says, "You know what? I want to build this, and I want to build something which is world class, and that's it's it means the world to us." And suddenly, here we are building some interesting software for you know somebody uh, who's probably going to be you know what we thought our target customer is maybe in five to ten years time so so how how do you check for uh, you mentioned some of the things uh, in terms of are they downloading you know white papers are they going through sort of ebooks or whatever is there is there like a, a way that you let's say as as a b2b company you know for those of uh, the listeners who are running b2b businesses how do they uh, sort of assess uh, somebody's intent? I mean, let's say, you know, like SMEs, they may not be always be writing, you know, white papers or a lot of blogs or not doing a lot of content marketing. What's the easiest and the best way for them to uh, assess the intent of a prospect? Yeah, so I would look at what has to happen before the customer gets value out of purchasing something from you. Um, so if you're building, if you're selling kitchens, kitchen renovations, um, is the customer making plans to get the required building approvals in place? If they're going to buy a Ferrari from you, do they have a driver's license? Now that's a silly obvious one, but you need to think about your own, um, solution that you're selling and what, what happens before that customer gets value from your purchase and have they done those things? Um, so that's a mix. You know, if you're not big on the content online, um, you haven't got lots of white papers, you haven't got lots of tools the customer can use, um, can help with their research, it's a conversation about 
those things that have to happen beforehand. Um, ask those questions, explore those issues. Um, that's a really important part of it. Sure. So, I mean, from what I understand is that even if that prospect could be your customer, but the intent currently shows that they are probably not ready uh, or, you know, they are much, you know, uh, further behind in the journey. I mean, like still a long way to go in terms of, like you said, the steps that they need to take. So, for instance, in our industry, we see that a lot. So, for instance, if somebody says we are going to automate our entire business process, and we will build a mega ERP system and we are going to make sure that it integrates with every aspect of our business. And one of the, one of the questions that we ask is who's going to be leading this project from your side? And they have an answer. And, and we just wonder, is this organization willing to take, uh, you know, undertake this uh, exercise of maybe spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not more? without even having an owner for this. And our experience tells us in a lot of cases that they are just not ready. It's just, it's just plans, but they're not quite ready. So, so yeah, I mean, that, that, that's really fascinating. I mean, if, if you're a small business owner and if you don't have a lot of content going around and if you still want to understand whether that's the right prospect or lead to pursue, uh, and a simple way is have they, uh, you know, the kitchen example that you uh, used was great in the sense, do they have all the things in place before they can even embark on this uh, journey? So the next thing I wanted to ask you about, and I've, you know, because it, it's, you know, it's probably always been the case, but especially from a technology point of view, you know, the, the, the amount of times I hear this in a week is crazy. The, the the distinction between a product company and a services company, right? So everyone talks about, you know, and I mean, I can talk for 72 hours about products and services, right? We do a bit of both. So I, I, I don't know which one we do better and which one we do worse. I think there's a lot of learning required on both the places. But I, I do believe, uh, you know, I was speaking to the founder of a services-based company last night. And, you know, he was saying that although, you know, it, it requires a lot of risk, you know, obviously services-based business does not necessarily mean, but it's, it tends to be a bit safer. You can hire more people as and when you get more business, you know, and so there is a different way you sort of market that business as well. Product is more of a risk. It's more of a hit or a miss as well in the sense that you spend six months building something, then you take it to the market and then you may realize whether the market is ready for it or whether your product's ready for the market or like maybe you're ahead of your times or, you know, not quite, you know, you missed the bus. There could be many things. But in terms of marketing and sales, right, because I've heard from numerous entrepreneurs and a lot of, you know, CEOs, they say, but ours is a services-based business. And I always hear this from them saying, oh, it's so easy to market a product-based business because, you know, all roads lead to that one thing. But whereas when you are a multi-service company, it just tends to be a bit tricky. So is there anything that you feel, you know, that product companies or services companies can do differently from each other when it comes to their marketing? Because, I mean, that's where most of the action is happening. Because how do services company tell one singular story, a powerful, impactful story. And, and on the product side, uh, do you feel that they need to just stick to that story or they need to add more dimensions to their story? 
Yeah, I don't make a significant distinction between the two. Mm. Ultimately, it comes down to what problem is being solved. And that might be an intangible problem. That might be a feeling or um, some intrinsic desire mm. uh, from the customer um, mm. that you're solving, that you're addressing. Um, regardless of both businesses, the trick is um, can does the customer look at what you're offering mm. and can they say, yes, that is a problem I have, that's the feeling I want to solve. That's the feeling I want to experience. Mm. Um, the company with the offer in front of me understands that they have a plan to solve that. They've clearly articulated that plan and they're showing me what success looks like. Mm. So, you know, I always go back to the, you know, the classic three-act structure. There's a hero of the story who's trying to overcome a problem, they meet a guide or a mentor, and that's the service provider or the product provider, and they're showing them what success looks like, and that success is solving that problem, experiencing that feeling. And the mistake that both product and services um, marketers make is they place themselves as the hero of that story, um, your role, whether you're selling a product or a service, is to make the customer the hero, help the customer along that journey. So I think that's really important that both product and services marketers need to understand their role is to satisfy something um, for the customer who's the hero of that story that they're telling. Mm. And I get that sometimes it feels easier for a product um, provider because the product is tangible and what it delivers and how you articulate that mm. is really done for you already. Most people can look at a product and go, that widget does this. Um, your communication skills need to be a bit better with services and that's why I think it probably gets a bit harder sometimes on the services front because there's more of a, an onus on, on the ability um, for the service provider to communicate more clearly. Right. Yeah, again, so uh, so you said there are three characters in the story? Yeah. So the one is the customer. Uh, three-act structure. So this is nothing new. This is classical Greek um, three-act structure. Mm. Um, just Google three-act structure. Um, so that process is, again, there's a hero of the story um, that, um, you know, comes across a problem, it faces a hurdle, that they want to overcome. Mm-hmm. They meet a guide or a mentor that has a plan and can clearly articulate that plan mm-hmm. and shows them what success looks like. Mm-hmm. So think about movies, you know, Star Wars, Luke Skywalker, um, you know, up against the rebel forces, meets a guide, Yoda, who has a plan and shows him how to overcome this problem and shows me what success looks like. So if you, yeah, and, you know, a website, your marketing communication really um, ought to follow that three-act structure. Mm. Um, You know, it's worth spending a bit of time reading that and getting understanding of that. Any movie that you've loved will follow that. And once people read it, they recognise it in lots of movies. 
Um, and your marketing should follow that exact format as well because people relate to it. They understand it. You know, it's intuitive for most people. Right. That's how these things, you know, ought to play out. Yeah. Right. So uh, is that a sort of a hint of the next book that you're writing, the Star Wars? <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, you know, the little analogy I use. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just like a, after the uh, canine uh, world, you know, the more intergalactic world of, you know, sales and marketing. So, I mean, that's, that's really fascinating in terms of, uh, you know, like how you said, and I think it crystallizes, you know, and I think you mentioned that uh, a couple of times and it just sort of uh, completely resonates with me, whether you're a services company or you're a product company, it's not about the services themselves. It's not about the product. It's about the problem that you're solving. And, and so, I mean, if, uh, for the listeners, you know, if, if you are providing multiple services, but I'm sure, you know, your company is trying to solve one problem, right? It's, it's rare that your company is trying to solve 50 problems. I mean, if it is, then it's, it's amazing. I hope you're doing it well, but I mean, otherwise most companies struggle to solve one problem and, but they probably provide five different services to solve that problem. So, and, and, and so that's something that. You know, you need to articulate your marketing needs to articulate and sort of stay consistent, uh, you know, with that positioning. So, yeah. And that role piece is really, really important. And this is what most marketers mess up is they position themselves as the hero. hero. Mm-hmm. You know, your role as the marketer and the salesperson is simply to take the prospect on a journey. You're the guide, you're the mentor. And the second that your marketing communication says we're the champions and we're the heroes of this story, you've got it wrong. You're pushing people away. Yeah. You're starting to sound like a pushy salesperson. Mm. Um, so I always you know, look at you know, some of our customers' marketing content and say, look, mm. you just need to turn that story. Mm. Your role is to help the customer. Your role is and make them the hero, particularly in a B2B scenario. And if you're positioning yourself as this wonderful, you know, I can solve everything and I'm the hero, the message is not going to get through. Um, you've got to be able to say, I'm the guide or the mentor and I've got a clear plan and I can show you what success looks like. That's all you have to do. Right. Well, Steve, you are the hero of this podcast. So <laughs> I, yeah, I wanted to, you know, uh, let the listeners know where they can get your book. And, you know, I, I believe that you work with organizations in terms of some consultancy that you do for them. So how can they get in touch with you? So, you know, maybe you would want to share that. So the best thing to do is just to Google the mongrel method and you'll find me. The book's available on Amazon. And by simply Googling the mongrel method, you'll find me. Well, thank you so much, Steve. It was wonderful having you here. And we wait for the next book. And I'll update you when I get the dog. (laughs) I'll definitely read the book. And I strongly recommend that book to everyone, anyone who's running a business. And I think it's it's been, uh, you know, very enlightening in terms of, you know, food for thought, a lot of things for us to think about. And I'm sure, you know, all the listeners are thinking about it and, you know, asking all sorts of questions. Are we trying to be the heroes? Are we not the guys that we are supposed to be? 
Are we complicating our lives? Are we getting our salespeople to do marketing role? Are marketing people not telling the right story? So a lot of interesting things that you've shared. Truly grateful. Thank you so much for being on the podcast and we look forward to this one. Thank you so much.